0: All right, let me make one statement, and then if you need to go to sleep, uh, you're good to go, all right? Marriage in our culture has been defined by emotions rather than commitment. And we're going to go back and look at the biblical model of marriage. Now, I understand that some of you are single. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, that's a gift. That if you are single, it's a gift to be single if you can be single and be faithful to God. Some of you are divorced, some of you didn't ask for it, some of you did, some of you had every right to ask for it, not here to beat you up. I am here to talk about what marriage should be, if you're looking to get married, what you ought to be looking for, and if you are married, how to survive and thrive, okay? Because I asked my wife last night, very, I said, listen, here's what I'm talking about, and I and I said, she, thought, she said, well, tell me your joke again. I said, it wasn't a joke. I said, I ask you if it's okay If I say that marriage is the hardest thing we've ever done. And very quickly, she said, oh, absolutely. You can tell them that it was a little quicker than I wanted her reaction to be. And so I'm going to be more transparent in this than I am comfortable being. um, But I also want to help you. And, and we would tell you, if my, my wife was here at this service, she would be that honest with you. She would tell you it is no matter how much you love each other, it is two worlds colliding together and it is the hardest thing you'll do. Now for the three of you that are living in fairy tale world, <clears throat> God bless you and praise God. I'm glad you're there. I need you to help me with other marriages, but I need most of you to know that you are not abnormal. Marriage is hard. It's hard work and it changes, doesn't it? You thought you knew what love was and 10 years later, 20 years later, 40 years later, children, problems, money, headaches, disease, marriage changes drastically. And so what is the biblical model of marriage? That's what we're going to take a look at today. So we're going to be in Genesis 24 if you want to get your Bibles out. Now, you get to decide. 4.30 treated me very poorly last night. 6.30 gave me mixed reviews. So you get to vote. Do you want the joke or you just want to hear about marriage? All right, I'm going to tell you the joke. But if you treat me badly, because you voted for it. All right. I don't miss a museum. I love museums. We go to museums now. My wife's like, don't buy me a ticket. It's a waste of money. I'll sit in the lobby and sleep. When you get done, pick me up, we'll go out to eat. You know, that's just kind of how we do uh, museums. But I love the Field Museum in Chicago. Has anybody ever been to the Field Museum in Chicago? Yeah, all right. If, other than the fact that it's in Chicago, it's a really wonderful thing. And um, they've got this full skeleton of the T-Rex there. They've got Lucy. They've got all these other things. It's really, really an amazing museum. But I was thinking backstage, as Cord was talking about the graduates, I graduated from high school 42 years ago. Now, I know it doesn't look that, but, I mean, literally, that's a hard thing to process. It really is. And I'm in the Field Museum in Chicago after 40 years, and I see a classmate from across the room. And I called out their name, and they turned and walked away from me. And I'm like, okay. So that night, I'm at dinner, and they walked into the same restaurant. And I went right over. I said, hey, I saw you. I called you. Why did you ignore me? And they said, well, there was too much history between us. I worked really hard just to get there. I took you to Chicago, down to Lakeshore Drive. If marriage is not about feelings, then what is it? Well, every ceremony I've ever done, I've asked people to make a commitment. I say the first commitment you're gonna make Is to God and your family. The second commitment you make is to each other. And nobody goes into a marriage thinking they're going to get divorced. Nobody that I know of goes into a marriage with somebody they hate. We're deeply in love. Okay, the divorce rate's 50%. If you've been married twice, it's 75%. If you've been married three times, it's 90%. But here's a startling statistic. If... No matter where you are along that table, if you both decide to follow Jesus, and I do not that doesn't mean coming to church. That means my mouth, my life, our prayer times, our, our whole life, we've become sold out for Christ. If you've been married 10 times each, the divorce rate drops 3%. Doesn't fix it. Because I still know people who have great marriages who have blown it up through dumb decisions. But I tell couples in that opening counseling session, so right now I'm telling you, I can give you a one in two chance of your marriage making it. And you can convince me why you're going to be the one that's going to make it. Or I can give you a 97% chance if you do it God's way. But you get to decide which way you want to go. So here's the setup to the story. It's the whole 24th chapter of Genesis. And the whole chapter is about picking a wife alright it was important enough that it got a whole chapter and literally it's like well if we find this woman she's gotta give us water and and we've got camels involved and we got all this stuff going on an entire chapter in fact 67 verses all about picking Isaac's wife now why is this important well this is why we go through books of the Bible this is why we don't just cherry pick verses because all along in Genesis, for the last 12 chapters, we've been talking about this child of the promise that's coming. Remember? Abraham, you're going to have the child of the promise. Going to bless all nations. Going to bless all nations. Going to bless all nations. Abraham messes up with his handmaid still going to bless all nations. Then we get Isaac born. He's called laughter. And then when he grows up, God tells him to go sacrifice him. And then God spares him. We went through all that last week. Now, Isaac's 40 years old and he's outstanding in the field with sheep. And Abraham's like, dang, I'm old. Abraham's going to die at 175. And he says, I got to find a wife for Isaac. Because if he's the child of the promise, help me out, and this is tough in this generation, but if he's the child of the promise and he's a man, we got to have a, a woman, well done. we got to have a man and a woman to have the next child so that we can move forward for whenever the Messiah is going to come. And Abraham has one concern. <clears throat> he says, do not... Get Isaac a wife from the Canaanites. Now, what's the big deal? Well, the Canaanites, Canaanites worshipped all kinds of pagan gods. They worshipped Satan. They were they were uh, abortionists. They would sacrifice their their uh, brand new children. They would throw them into the fire as an honor to God. I mean, all kinds of crazy stuff. And Abraham realizes if Isaac is the child of the promise, his wife is every bit as important to this story as he is because she'll be carrying the next generation that's going to lead to the Messiah. Does that make sense to everybody? Now, this is how we all ought to look at marriage. No matter, I don't care where you are in life. If you've been married five times and you're not now or you're single and you never have been, you should say, look, I will never settle because I deserve better. And I'm going to have the person that God wants for me. So if you'll stand, one verse, one verse, and then we're going to bring it home. So Rebecca comes riding. They find her in another village, a bunch of camels, water. You can read that whole story. Rebecca comes back. Isaac will never get to see his bride before they get married. Give that some thought. Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother, Sarah. He married Rebecca. So she became his wife. Now look what happened now. And he, oh, yeah, we fall in love and then, quote, fall out of love, which is baloney. All right. That's emotion, not commitment. He committed and then he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. So you can be seated. So we'll go through this real quickly. Just three, three applications of of how this ought to be. The choosing process is absolutely essential. And Abraham had set up the parameters. She won't come from this group at all. She has to come from this family. Um, she, has to be, she has to be willing to come out and offer water. She's a servant. Um, she has to be a clean bloodline. It's, it's all there in Genesis 24. But his major concern is that she is a true worshiper of the living God. So this is Abraham's job. He knows he's got to do this. Now, what's interesting, we may be cringing at this idea of, of choosing a spouse. But do you realize that in countries and cultures where spouses are chosen, there's almost no divorce? So apparently mom and dad do a better job than we do. Because that's not true in our culture. Go to the Arab culture. You go to the Indian culture. They're almost all arranged marriages. And they do exactly what's here. They commit, and then they learn to love. It's an amazing story, but this choosing is so important. And here's what Jesus said in Matthew 19. Jesus said, haven't you read, and Jesus is quoting from Genesis, in case you're wondering. He says, haven't you read that at the very beginning, the Creator made them male and female. Do you know a boy got thrown out of school last week because he wore a shirt that said there's only two genders? Now, here's what bothered me about the story. This is an educational institute that scientifically, I'd like you to prove to me there's more than two genders. That's free. For this reason, a man... (laughs) For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. There's marriage. And the two will become... One flesh. All right. You want to know what Jesus. Oh is it born? So they are no longer two but one. Therefore what God has joined together. Let no man separate. I've said that at a million weddings too. Okay. So the whole idea here. When people say. And I listen to these progressive preachers. I hate that phrase. Because they're not preachers or progressive. But um, their comment is. Jesus didn't say anything. About marriage. About homosexuality. Or about transgenderism. All you need is what I just gave you in Matthew 19. At the beginning, the creator made them male and female. The two of them would come together and become one flesh. There's only one way to make babies. Yes? All right, I'm not making this up. All right. Very clear. Everything you need to know is right there in two verses. That's all Jesus had to say, no matter what else they want to do with it. And so this whole idea of choosing is making sure that people are right with Jesus. So when couples come in, I think I've got five or six couples I'm working with right now. And the first question I ask them is, tell me about your relationship with Jesus. That always throws them. They're prepared for every other question but that one. I go to church. I didn't ask you if you went to church. I ask you, how's your relationship with Jesus? Because that tells me where we're going to have to go. Because we can't build this until we figure out how to get there. Now, let me explain this choosing to you. Um, again, I haven't talked about this for a long time. But a lot of you know my wife and I adopted three children 17 years ago. And uh, my baby, Alicia, uh, is now a sophomore at UCF starting studying archaeology oh my heart uh, yeah she said dad you got me into this um, but anyway um, one of my reasons when my wife went on a mission trip to china she came home she said joe we need to adopt and i told her i'd buy her an orphanage but i was done raising kids Um just to let you know i never wanted children i have five children never wanted dogs and i have three if you want to know how a marriage if you want to know how marriage works um, But one of my arguments was, I'm not sure that I can love a child that's not mine. And I'm laying on a floor in southern China with this two-year-old baby laying on my chest, sound asleep. And within about two months, I changed that statement. And I started asking, did I ever love my biological children? And then I went back. And I looked at what God has to say about adoption in Ephesians 1 and Romans 8. And I realized that we're all adopted into God's family. That's the whole point of the cross. None of us deserve to be in the family. God has adopted us into the family. That's the whole heart of God. And so when you get involved with these kind of connections, that's where the, the whole biblical picture of love comes from. And that's why it's like, no, you weren't born to us. You were chosen. Do you understand? That's what Jesus did for us. We'd all drifted away, but Jesus on the cross chose all of us. And if you've not accepted Jesus, don't go home this day without him. But I got to keep moving because the clock's, the clock's ticking. So choosing is vital. Secondly, the idea of becoming one. Jesus, again, quoting Moses, haven't you heard that the two will, the mother will, they'll leave their mother and father. The two will become one flesh, starting a new family. And so that's what's about to happen with Isaac and Rebecca. But I love it. Now, the scripture says, if you go back in chapter 24, it says, Rebecca was a beautiful woman. I don't know what beautiful means. have no idea what it meant to them, uh, what it means to us. But Isaac didn't know that. Isaac has no way of knowing what she looked like. He'd never seen her. She's got a veil over her face. He's never seen her face at all until after he says, I do. How about that for commitment? How about that for the trust that he had in his dad? The trust that he had in God? The trust that he had that he was, he was that child of the promise and he trusted that God's gonna provide the right person for him? Wow, there's a whole lot playing out here. But let me show you this fish, okay? This is the angler fish. You've never seen this fish because it dwells very deep in the ocean. But let me, let me tell you, I'm gonna read this to you because it's beyond my scope. When a male and female anglerfish mate, they melt into each other. Check this out. And then they share bodies. The deep sea is so vast that if a male actually finds a female anglerfish, he latches on and fuses himself to her, losing his eyes and internal organs until the two fish share one bloodstream. That's what God meant by two becoming one. And you want to know why that's so hard for me and my marriage after 40 years? You can write this down if you want to know this about me. I'm selfish. And I still want to look out for myself, not always my wife. But Jesus said, no, the two have become one. How can you hurt yourself? If you hurt her, you hurt yourself. Who's dumb enough to do that? All of us. Yeah. See, the goal is to become so unified. Now, that word is so loaded because unity does not mean that you'll agree on everything. In fact, some of the best unity that goes on is when people don't agree on anything. Except that they love God and they love each other. I look back at marriages that have been faithful, and I'm like, everything about this story is wrong, except your commitment. And they're like, we made a commitment to God, we made a commitment to each other, and here we are. But our generation says, no, I'll love you as long as it feels right. I'll love you as long as I'm getting what I want. Well, that's not biblical love. That's selfish love. Biblical love says, I will love you unrighteous. Conditionally, i'll love you not on your best day and i say this at every wedding i say i hope that your wife looks like this every morning full of makeup white dress and you're dressed up in a suit but the truth is this is not what it's going to look like tomorrow morning and stir in three or four kids and a couple of dogs and a little a couple of cancer diagnosis and your life's going to look very different amen that's why commitment is the key and not our emotions. But then that last part is to love unconditionally. It's how Jesus loves in Ephesians 5. It says that we are to love each other the way Jesus loved the church. And he specifies that as he gave himself up for the church. Husbands, we are to give ourselves up for our wives. Wives, you're to give yourself up for your husbands. Now, here's what happens. And only because I know it well, 40 years of experience. Well, I will do better when she does better. Well, I'll do better when he does better. Two pig-headed people and we never get anywhere. Who's going to act like Jesus first? That's really what love is. That's what this whole story really comes down to. Let me read this. This is from Ruth Graham, who was married to Billy Graham. One of the greatest quotes ever. Uh, They asked Ruth Graham one time, they said, did you ever think about divorcing Billy? And she said, no, never, not even once. And they're like, wow. She said, but I wanted to kill him many times. (laughs) See, I love that kind of transparency, all right? Listen to what she wrote, though. She said, it's a foolish woman Who expects her husband to be what only Jesus Christ can be for her. Ready to forgive, totally understanding, unending patience, invariably tender and loving, unfailing in every area, anticipating every need and making more than adequate provision. Such expectations put a man under an impossible strain. And the same goes for the man who expects too much from his wife. See, if you're expecting your husband and your wife to be Jesus for you because you're not leaning into that relationship, it's never going to work. Jesus gets to be Jesus. Your husband, your wife is your helper. We come along beside each other.